Thanks, Jonathan. You did so well. He didn't even knock over the candles. I love it when Jonathan prays for me. And, um, and also just we have a group of people that meet on Sunday mornings before church. They pray for our church. They pray for people. They pray for me. I am just so thankful for, um, for people that pray and uh, Lord, the way that the Lord uses that. So our theme this year for Christmas, uh, Rick mentioned it, it is evangelism. And uh, on the wall there, you see it says, give the greatest gift. Of course, Christmas is about giving gifts, right? And receiving gifts for some of us. We like to receive them. Um, but as we think about Christmas this year, um, my, my prayer is that for our church family, that we would really focus on giving gifts that matter. And uh, what we're going to be talking about this morning is I think the greatest gift that any person can receive and the greatest gift that, that you could give anybody would be to help people genuinely worship Jesus. Um, when I think about, uh, you know, this season, uh, it is my prayer that we would give and receive the greatest gift and that we would give ourselves to the rescue mission of the world and that that would start in our own heart, thinking through, do we know the Lord? Do we genuinely worship God from our heart? Um, because that actually is the, the key element of a Christian, is a person who worships God. And so just asking ourselves, do we genuinely in our heart worship Jesus? And as we look at this Christmas season, what is the greatest gift that we could give people? As you think about those important people in your life that you'll be buying things for, um, I, I don't do that. Michelle does that for me. So as Michelle thinks about the people that we'll be buying gifts for, for um, if we could just think through, if you could think through, you know, as much as we love people and we want to give people things that will show them that we love them and that will bless them, but for us to be thinking about, am I giving people things of eternal value, a relationship with Christ, that genuine worship? So I went to this um, Jesus film thing with, uh, with Tom. And one of the things that just really impressed me, just growing up in my family, we had these two pictures. I don't know if you guys all know, but I'm from South Africa. And so growing up, we had these two big pictures in our living room of these two Maasai warriors. And, um, and so just growing up, having those pictures, I go away to this Jesus film thing, and um, they were telling a story about this Maasai individual who sees the Jesus film who becomes a Christian, and just the, the things that they had and how he was committed to getting that movie in front of every single Maasai person. And uh, Maasai people are large. They're like these big people. And they're powerful. And, um, and so he actually made a personal commitment that he's going to show the Jesus film to 800,000 of his tribe. And then he's like, uh, and they all live here, but there's another group of another 800,000 somewhere else. And so he made this commitment. I'm going to show this film to all 800,000, and then I'm going to go reach the other 800,000. And just thinking for us, um, are we committed to helping people see Jesus? And actually, that's what Christmas is about. This is one of the things that amazes me about Christmas is um, some people feel like uh, Christmas is being erased. And I just want you to know, Christmas is not being erased. It is being replaced. You know, Christmas is the time that we celebrate 
the coming of Jesus. And guess what's happening next year? Next year, Christmas is going to be on Sunday. And, you, and, that, and that is just, isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful that Sunday will be Christmas? But can I just tell you something? There are churches all over the United States thinking about what are we going to do with Christmas on Sunday? And there will be tons of churches that cancel church on Sunday morning because it's Christmas and they feel like nobody's going to skip a family celebration to come to church. And so Christmas has become, it's been replaced. And instead of being about Christ, it's about family, it's about gifts. And so Christmas is being replaced and it's important for us. Um, That's a subtle thing. And when you think it just culturally, uh, what does it mean <laughs> that churches cancel service on Christmas because it's a Sunday? And, and the, the reality is if you sit and think about it, um, you know, everywhere, it'll be, it'll be one of the lowest attended Sundays, even for people who don't, uh, even for churches that don't cancel Christmas. So what, what does that mean for us? And, and the bottom line is that for all of us, we can be influenced and impacted by that, right? Um, just that view, oh man, Christmas on Sunday, instead of celebrating, it's this conflict. So I, I just want to, for us, as we think about who God has called us to be and how we should be approaching this season, um, think about this, for we are the aroma of Christ to God. Here's what I love about this verse. We are the aroma of Christ. We are to smell like Jesus. He, we are to just emit Jesus from us. As people get to know us, they should know who Jesus is. But here's, here's the thing that I think is awesome about this verse. We are the aroma of Christ to God. When you think about Old Testament sacrifices, they would burn sacrifices, and, and it would always talk about how this was a pleasing aroma to God. And for us, as we consider evangelism, it is about reaching people made in God's image, but ultimately, our life of evangelism and our life is really about God. See, we are the aroma of Christ to God. He is the focus of our worship. And yes, we want people to know Jesus, but primarily, we are honoring and we want to please God in our life. And, but it says this, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So it is the aroma of Christ to God, but it's among. It, it is the, the people around us actually do also have that aroma. They should also have that aroma. And we have a responsibility to worship God from our heart and to communicate that to our brothers and sisters in Christ, other people who know Christ. We need to be the kind of people that, that when people are around us, they worship God more. That, that the thought of Christmas being on um, Sunday morning, we need to be the kind of people that just communicate, I would never miss church on Christmas. Christmas is about Jesus. And, and not, that's not like a church thing. That's just like the expression of our heart. And, and other Christians around us that would think about staying home should go, wow. I mean, look at that person's life, the way they love the Lord. And, and man, why would I think about staying home for Christmas? They're not thinking about it. So we should be this influence of worship to one another. But also to our unbelieving neighbors, 
our unbelieving friends. It's not just before Christ that we, uh, before other believers that we represent Christ. It's also among unbelievers that they would look at us and say, man, God has their heart. And so this, uh, as we think about this season, um, it is not too late to stop wasting our lives. It is not too late to stop wasting Christmas because when Christmas is not about Christ, it is a waste. When your life is not about Christ, you are wasting your life. And like that man who came to know Jesus and just said, I am going to reach my entire tribe, that should be us over Christmas. So I was thinking about this. Um, Have any of you, raise your hand, just help me out here. If you've seen The Chosen, the, the movie in the movie theater, okay. So I went and saw that, and I just have to say, it was really encouraging and inspiring, and I loved it. Um, but it was not what I expected. <laughs> I went in there, I'm waiting for a movie, and it's just like a bunch of people singing, and, which I thought was amazing, and kids. And, and then at the, like you're more than an hour into it, and then the movie about the birth of Jesus starts. And so, but it was such an incredible, motivating thing for me. And uh, I immediately started thinking, okay, who are some of my neighbors? Who are people I know that I could bring to this? And one of the things that was kind of the theme of, the, of this uh, chosen thing was people must know. And I love that. Now, this is the other thing, too, is I was just thinking about how thankful I am for the believers in Orange County and in this area. When Michelle and I moved here, one of the things that really stood out to us was how friendly people are here. And it was weird being in that movie theater. Everybody's opening the door for each other. Like it was the most thoughtful group of people that I had been around. I went to the front of the the, the, the uh, movie theater and I started joking around about how my seats were in the very front row. And so I was just kind of joking around with our group about that. And some lady from the back of the room comes down and starts making some suggestions for me about how I could get a better seat. Like, she noticed that. And she's like, this poor guy, let's help him get a better seat. But it was just like, throughout the entire movie theater, it was amazing. And I'm just sitting there thinking, this place is full of Christians. And it makes a difference just being in a room. It was noticeable. And that needs to be us. You know, the bottom line is that worship is the most positive thing that there is in our life, to genuinely worship Jesus. So let's jump in this morning, and uh, I want to start by just, um, we're going to read, we're going to focus on uh, the wise men, the magi, coming to worship Jesus. And we're going to see three important things in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 12, but I want to just kind of lay... I want to lay like the foundation and just read a few things that happened in Matthew chapter 1. So here's verse 1. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Um, The fact that Jesus was the son of David and the son of Abraham means he's the chosen king, the Messiah. So that's the first verse in Matthew. And then there's the genealogy of Jesus. And then there's the description of the birth of Jesus. And I want to read that starting in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. So if you have your Bibles, go there. This is what it says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother had been betrothed to Joseph, 
before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. This is the virgin birth. Uh, Mary was a virgin. She got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So this is the purpose of Jesus coming. He's going to say right here, for he will save his people from their sins. That's going to be our focus next week, giving the greatest gift. This week, giving the greatest gift is worship. But to think about the fact that people are sinners and they need forgiveness. Everybody does. That's, but that's next week. But Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name... Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. It's just the Hebrew words for God with us. Jesus was God who was born of a virgin and came to this earth to save people from their sins. And God is with us. Man, that is unbelievable that Jesus came. And it verse says, verse 24 when Jesus awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So that's, Matthew lays that out. He describes who Jesus is, and then Matthew is the only one to talk about the Magi. We know them as the wise men. He's the only one who tells the story, and he immediately follows it up by telling a story about people who dedicated their, their, man, they found out Jesus was coming and they went to worship. And that is the only appropriate response to Jesus coming is that we would worship him. You know, so often when people share the gospel, it's man-centered. It's about you and how Jesus can help you and what God can do for you. There was a guy who actually surveyed youth um, in this area and then wrote a book about youth ministry. And he just talked about how people have the, the youth as they surveyed people. They didn't really understand who God was. They didn't worship a God. They just kind of felt like Jesus is this additive to my life. And, and I just want to say this. Do you know why? Do you know why youth have that view of Jesus? I mean, why, why would that be? That youth in our area here in South Orange County would grow up feeling like, Jesus, you're my genie in the sky. I don't really need you or want you, but you're just there to do stuff for me when I need something. Why would youth view Jesus that way? Because they have everything? Okay, let's, let's shout out some answers. Why do you think? That's what they see in society. Yep, they're self-centered. Somebody said it starts with the parents. 
What? Yeah. So here's the deal. If kids are growing up and they don't worship Jesus, you know why? It's because the people that are surrounding them and teaching them to live life and think about life are not worshiping Jesus. It's because when they go to church, church is more concerned with gathering people up and giving people what they want. Come to church so you can have a better marriage. Come to church, it's, it, it'll have a good, you know, moralizing effect on your family. You know, there are youth groups that are full of kids. And then when those kids graduate, they never come back to church. You ever hear those statistics? Well, why? It's because youth group centers around fun, an activity director, somebody to gather you up and say nice things and try to help you have fun. And the moment the fun ends... Nobody comes back to church. And it's because we're not giving the worship of Jesus. But when Matthew tells a story about Jesus coming, he then tells a story about people who traveled from the east, not even the Jews, and they came to worship Jesus. So let's consider this. Jesus is the unique king who is to be worshiped. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it, when it rose and have come to worship him. Mind, they, they, Jesus is here. We're going to go worship you know, it's, it's amazing when you think about where these people are. Now, nobody knows anything about the Magi. You know, it's like we just know that they're called the Magi. We don't actually know exactly where they came from. And, and people argue about, well, if they came from Babylon, that's kind of northeast. Maybe you'd say north. Or did, did they come from some desert area? And so nobody really knows that much about the Magi. But if you search for the Greek word Magi, um, you're going to find it in the Greek translation of the Old Testament and you're going to find it in the story of Daniel. Remember when Daniel's in Babylon? And, and every time the king needed a dream, he would call the, his magicians and his wise men. That's where the word is used. Interesting. Where did these foreigners, how did they hear or know about Jesus? It's quite likely that for hundreds of years... They had been waiting for this Messiah to come and that Daniel communicated that to these men. And when they heard about it, when they found out about it, they went to see Jesus. Why? To worship him. It wasn't Jesus, will you come along with me in my life and help me? Uh, Jesus, you're like a a heavenly uh, slot machine where I say prayers and you give me things I want. No, they came to worship him and to bring him gifts. And they show up to the Jews, the people who are supposed to be worshiping him, and they're not. You know, uh, I think one of the things that's really cool is they talk about, they're coming here and they're saying, hey, where is the Messiah to be found? It tells us something about prophecy in the Old Testament and how do we figure out what things mean as we think about the prophecies about the future how do we understand those things I think it's interesting that they didn't go well okay um, there's this Old Testament prophecy about Jesus coming to Bethlehem but you O Bethlehem 
who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. So Jesus is God who becomes man and actually he's born in Bethlehem. And I think it's interesting that they didn't, they didn't go, well, let's see. A bee has two humps in it. Uh, where's a mountain with two humps? Oh, it's there. Look, there's E is repeated in Bethlehem like three times. It must be that it's from the east. And if you count the letters of the word Bethlehem, there's nine of them. So if we could find a mountain with two humps, it'll be nine miles to the east of that mountain. Is that how they interpreted this prophecy? But when many people approach prophecy in the Bible and in the New Testament, they do ridiculous things like that. Instead of just going, well, what does it say? It says he'll be born in Bethlehem. And so what did they do when they wanted to find Jesus? They went to Bethlehem and looked for a baby. So Jesus is the king who came. Uh, Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's what Matthew repeated, but that was the Old Testament saying Jesus, this Messiah, would be God. In chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. He's going to be a ruler, the responsibility to rule. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. You think about who Jesus is. He is a wonderful counselor. He has wisdom. He has truth. And, you know, it's amazing that, that people come to church and they don't view obedience as a blessing. They don't think to themselves, oh, man, Jesus tells me how to live. They're like, I don't want to go to church wherever you just, you know, the Bible just tells people what to do. No, Jesus is a wonderful counselor. He has all wisdom. He knows everything. Everything that he tells us is for our best. And obeying Jesus is not an imposition. Obeying Jesus is an incredible gift because he's a wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is all-powerful. And this God that we love can take care of us because he loves us and we're his children. And these are part of the reasons that we worship him. He is the everlasting father. Eternally, Jesus is going to care for us the way a loving dad would care for his kids. And then it says that he is the prince of peace. And, and I just want to know that Jesus is not the prince of peace because everybody just wants to follow him and he's just peaceful and never says anything to upset anyone. That is not why Jesus is the prince of peace. Have you ever thought about that? When Jesus came, did people love him? Everybody accept him? I mean, they nailed him to a cross. And when Jesus comes again, and you read the book of Revelation, does everybody just line up and follow Jesus? No, at the end of the book of Revelation, there's this massive slaughter of all the people who don't worship Jesus. Do you know why Jesus is the Prince of Peace? Uh, Philippians 2 says, every knee will bow and worship Jesus in heaven and on earth and under the earth. You know why Jesus is the Prince of Peace? Because he's so powerful, nobody has the ability to resist him. And so he brings peace through his absolute power. And he brings peace because 
He's created a way for people who would submissively follow him to have peace with God. So he's our peace in that he provides forgiveness. So Matthew identifies Jesus. And it's interesting in verse 4 um, how people are assembled um, to, to uh, go find the Christ. You know, this is something that John chapter 4 tells us, that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. See, for us as believers, the most significant thing about you is whether or not you worship Jesus. If you see his amazing beauty, his awesome power, and if you want to worship him, and if you do worship him, that's the most significant thing about you is your heart toward Jesus. And um, what we're going to find out here is that the worship of Jesus is only worship when it's genuine. It's only worship when it's genuine. I want to just tell you a little bit about what worship is. There's two words in the Old and New Testament that um, describe worship. And the two words are this. One is to fall on your face and to bow down. So the word to bow down. The other word that's translated as worship is to serve. And, and as believers, we bow down before the greatness of Jesus, before the greatness of God. God doesn't bow down before us. He is not our genie in the bottle that serves us, that we wake up in the morning and give God a to-do list in our prayer. You know, Jesus talks about the holiness of God and just says, when you pray, pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We pray about God's holiness, that people would see God's holiness, that they would have a reverence for him. And that's what as believers we need to have in our heart that we worship, that we bow down before God. And that's what happens on Sunday morning when we come to sing. It's this attitude of reverence before God, and our lives are dedicated to serving Jesus. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 2, right? Present yourself as a living sacrifice, your holy, acceptable service of worship. Man, worship is not just singing. It is your whole life, but it's one of the things that happens when we sing. So the worship of Jesus is only worship when it's genuine. Let's, let's read verse 3 through 9, and I want you to think about what's happening here. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And he assembled all the chief priests, the scribes of the people, and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he said, sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship. Oh, hey, Herod wants to worship Jesus too, right? I mean, he said it. He said he wanted to worship Jesus. 
You know, it's one of the things I think is amazing about just understanding salvation and understanding worship. And Herod said, I want to worship Jesus. And I think about, you know, the, the guy who did this survey about all these Christian kids. And, and I just think about how many people get their kids and they say, hey, you can have fun if you go to church. And, and they do all this stuff. And, then, and I think about all the camps that I've been to with kids where everybody runs forward. I mean, every year we would go to Hume Lake. We would take all these kids to camp. And every year hundreds of kids would go forward to accept Christ. And they would sit there and they would pray a prayer to receive Christ. So they would, just, they would pray that prayer. And that's those same people every year ran forward. It was kind of fun, a cool thing to do. Uh, I remember one, one, one youth guy that I went to um, hanging out with these other youth pastors, and he's like, this guy says, hey, bring your friends to church, and I will put your name and your friend's name in a drawing for a free snowboard. I just thought, wow, that's awesome. I'm not going to bring my friends to church because I, they need to know the Lord, but you'll give me a snowboard? Okay, cool, I'll bring my friends. And, and I'm not going to say to my friends, hey, you need Christ. I mean, they would never come to church for that, but if I tell them, hey, come to youth group with me, and I'll give you a, you, you might get a snowboard. See, that's worth going to church for. And how often we look at people who take a little kid, please receive Christ. This is really important for you, and this little kid loves mommy and daddy or loves their Sunday school teacher, and then they pray a prayer. Jesus, come into my heart. And we look at things like that, and that's how we measure whether or not a person knows Jesus. Can I, can I just tell you, you want to know how to know if somebody knows Jesus? It's easy. Do they worship him? Want to know if you know Jesus? Well, it's a question. Do you worship him? Now, this story is kind of obvious, right? Because he says, um, I want to worship Jesus too. And then what does uh, Matthew tell us about Herod? <laughs> he doesn't want to worship Jesus. He wants to kill him. And how do we know that? Because in verse 16, I think just a few verses later, he, he's, asked the, he's asked these wise men, what, what time did you see the star? How old are these babies? And then he sends his people out to kill everybody two years and under because that's related to when Jesus was born. So here's the question. How do you know who somebody loves? How do you know if somebody worships? Uh, do you guys remember um, this story in the Old Testament about uh, King Solomon? <laughs> remember Solomon? He, um, God appears to him in, in a dream and says, you can have whatever you want. Just ask me. And Solomon says, I'm just a young man, and I want to care for your people. And, and, I, and I don't even know very much, so God, give me a wise and an understanding heart so that I can care for your people. And then God says that that pleased him, that request. And so God gave him a wise and understanding heart. And then he gave him riches, which he didn't ask for. And he gave him the life of all of his enemies. So there was peace. And Solomon was powerful. And God said, I'm going to give you what you asked for, but I'm also going to give you all the things you didn't ask for. And then do you want to know what the first illustration of his wisdom is? 
you get these two ladies and they both have a baby and one of them lays on the baby and kills the baby and then takes that baby and replaces it with her roommate's baby. So you have these two ladies with newborn babies and they bring them before Solomon and they say, um, hey, here's the situation. This one says it's her baby and this one says she stole her baby. Now, nobody's there. Now, they didn't have, like, DNA tests back then. So how are you going to figure this out? I mean, these are like newborn babies. You know, you guys know how babies get mixed up in hospitals all the time, right? So how are you going to figure this out? And do you want to know what Solomon doesn't say? He doesn't say, well, just tell me whose baby is it. Because they're both saying it's their baby. That's not what he does. And as we think about worship and we think about figuring out how do I help people worship? How do I know if somebody's worshiping? How do I know if I'm worshiping? What does he do? He says, okay, bring me a sword. I'm going to cut this baby in half, and you can each have half. And then what happens? The real mother says, no, give her the baby. Because that mother loved her baby. Solomon didn't say, whose baby is it? Solomon did something that would bring the genuine heart to the surface. When we're trying to have people worship Jesus, if you have to say evangelize and we'll give you a star next to your name, if you have to motivate people by all these other things, that is not the worship of Jesus. And I think part of the problem is that in the church and in Christianity and even in our own lives, we don't cultivate a reverence and a worship for Jesus. And so whether or not a person's a, a Christian becomes confusing. And you and I need to identify the difference between pursuing church for social benefit and pursuing church because we want to worship Jesus. I'll just tell you one thing. The fact that churches are closing on Christmas because it's Sunday that tells you something about the worship of Jesus. So I just say, you want to know, does a church really worship Jesus? I don't know. Are they closing on Christmas? Because if you ask them, they'll all say yes. But a church that closes on the day that was set aside to worship Jesus, what does that mean? And for us, on Christmas Day, are we staying home if Christmas is on Sunday? Or are we gathering our family and are we saying, church, the worship of Jesus, that's what Christmas is about. It's not about the gifts you get. It's about who Jesus is. So let me just ask you in your family, do you worship Jesus? Because it's not the answer to the question. It's what does your life show about what motivates you and what drives you? And are we cultivating worship in ourselves? Are we cultivating worship in our kids? When we present the gospel to people, do we hold Christ high? Or do we say to them, hey, <laughs> uh, worship Jesus and he'll solve your financial problems. So um, Herod didn't worship Jesus even though he said he was going to. You want to see what uh, true worship is? 
Let's look at these magi. Let's look at this in verse um, 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. What made them happy? What was their greatest blessing? I mean, they heard Jesus was coming, and they traveled from the east. They, they did all the stuff. They gathered up all their money. They, they gathered up these gifts, and they traveled, and they were rejoicing about seeing Jesus. And just seeing him and worshiping him filled them with incredible joy. And, and often uh, Christmas is not a time that's filled with joy. There's lots of family conflict. Uh, you know, we deal with stuff in our families, right? Like, I remember when I was new to uh, Michelle's family, uh, we went to Christmas. And uh, we went to Christmas at her family, so there's this family gathering. And when I walked in the door, the rooms were filled with gifts. Like, you couldn't walk in the room. I'd never seen just, like, mountains of gifts. It was crazy. Uh, I, I enjoyed it because some of those gifts were for me. I was thinking, this is a great family to be in. I liked it. But one of the things I saw is that there was like these, there was these little kids there. And they were just opening gifts. And they just brought gifts and they put it in front of them. And they ripped the paper off, moved it to the side. Gave another gift. They ripped the paper off, moved it to the side. And after spending like 20 minutes, there's paper everywhere. The, the gifts have moved from this mountain over here to this other mountain over here of unwrapped gifts. And at the end, the kids looked up and said, is that all? <laughs> have you ever experienced anything like that? We've never seen that in our family ever, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, there was a Michelle's family that we were at. It was, uh, I, I saw it on TV. But for Jesus, yeah, I am going to be in trouble. You were walking out the door. You came back. Um, these wise men, they're showing up. They're showing up to worship Jesus. And the ability to worship Jesus fills them with exceedingly great joy. How do you know if you worship Jesus? It's actually the most important thing in your life. Man, you'd rather worship Jesus than eat a donut. Like one of the things we used to talk about was how do we get people into the church? And we thought about all kinds of things. You know, we can, we can lock the door and we can pressure people and we can, we can go outside and say, hey, quit talking, get into church for worship. You know, it's like in our, our staff meetings talking about how do we get, how do we start the service with the room not mostly empty? And uh, so what I said is, I just said, I don't actually want to do any of those things. Um, the way that you solve people showing up to church on time is you help them in their heart want to worship God. And actually, it's a measurement of where people are spiritually. It's how we know how our church is doing. I was thinking about that. We had some visitors that showed up. And when they came to church, they came early and they sat quietly in a room, in this room, just like having this reverent attitude. And you want to know something? They learned that in their previous church. And they were around believers who prioritized worship, and they showed up early. Um, they don't go here anymore, but I thought that was cool. 
You don't want to know what Ecclesiastes 12.13 says. Ecclesiastes 12.13, the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon's this rich man. He's talking about all his riches and all the things he has and all the things that he does. And he says, it's empty, it is vanity. And then he ends the book by saying this. The end of the matter, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments. And, and for us, we've got to ask ourselves, where are we looking for happiness and satisfaction? And is it in the worship of Jesus? I just want you to know that worship, genuine worship, transcends everything. It's more valuable. It is more important. It is the, the greatest gift that you could give yourself is to worship Jesus. Psalm 73, 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. That's worship. There's nothing on earth I would rather have, Jesus, than you. Isn't that what Jesus said? If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Isn't that what Jesus said? Didn't Jesus say, if you love your mother, your sister, your brothers or even your own life more than me, you cannot be my disciple? Didn't Jesus say that worshiping him was what life was about? But um, we're going to cancel church on... Oh, no, no, we're not. How about this? Psalm 84.10, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Isn't that what Paul said in, in Ephesians, uh, or Philippians chapter 3, verse 8? I count everything as loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Um, do you know that that is lived out by real people? Do you remember Moses? Like Moses is, God says he's pleased with him, and Moses just says, God, I, I just want to see you show yourself to me. That was his greatest desire, and God says, if I showed myself to you, you'd die. But I'm going to put you in a rock, and I'm going to pass before you, and I'm going to put my hand over your face. All these are anthropomorphisms because God doesn't have a body, but he's, he's just saying to Moses, I'm going to veil my glory, but I'm going to give you a glimpse of it. What did Moses want more than anything was to see Jesus and to worship him and, and, to, and to be in God's presence? That was Moses. What did Job want more than anything else? What did Job want? Do you remember? He loses everything he has. And the Bible says this is how Job responded. By the way, do you remember how God evaluated Job? He said he's the most righteous man on earth. That's what God said about Moses, uh, Job. And this is what happens when he loses everything. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will return. And in Job 1.20 it says, then Job arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell on the ground, and he worshipped. That's what drove and motivated Job's life. That's what happens with Christians. They love Jesus. They want to worship God more than anything else. That was what drove Paul's life. He wanted to worship. What does Hebrews tell us? Hebrews 12, 28. 
Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You know, as we think about um, that's, that is the most significant thing about you is who you worship. And who you worship is expressed on what you want to do on Christmas next year. Who you worshiped is, is impacted by what you do with your Sunday mornings. Who you worship is reflected in what causes you joy and what you really want. That expresses who you worship. And uh, we need to be the fragrance of God among those who are believing. Part of the reason that Christian worship is so empty is because Christian worship is so empty. And we've never seen it. We've never sat next to somebody who really worships God because we've grown up in this watered-down view of what it means to have a relationship with God. And so instead of encouraging and inspiring each other, we look around and go, eh, it's not that big a deal. We need to be people who worship God with all of our heart, that we're praying for that, that, you're, that we're recognizing contentment, right? Where does that come from? If we have Jesus, I'm content no matter what. And uh, that's the amazing thing. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper right now. This is an opportunity for us to worship and to be reverent toward God. Uh, get your cups. And I want to read this. Hebrews 4.16, this is what Jesus accomplished for us in his birth when he was, came and he, he was born and he came and he died for us. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can worship Jesus his, in his holiness. We can worship God in his holiness because of what Jesus did. And God pours out his grace and his mercy in our life. And we don't die. We boldly go into the throne of grace. But we don't do that because we have a low view of Jesus and we see him as our secretary that follows along with us. That's not why we boldly go into God's grace and into his presence and into his temple. That's not why. You know, Revelation 1.17 talks about John seeing Jesus and falling down as though he was dead. You know, the Lord's Supper, when Paul talks about this, the Lord's Supper, he talks about the importance of approaching it with reverence. It says in verse 27, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For if anyone eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Um, people that approach Jesus in a casual way, the Old Testament gives examples of priests that approach Jesus, approached worship in a casual way, and God just killed them. When we approach God, we, we approach him with a sense of reverence and awe. And part of that is thinking through, God, do I live my life for you? Do I worship you with my behavior? Do I obey you because I love you? Do I confess and repent when I sin? Do I see you as awesome 
and holy? And do I remember what you accomplished on the cross that allows me to come into your presence? Look at, look at uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 29. It says for, or here, sorry, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus died on the cross for us so that you and I could be forgiven. Let's eat. Verse 25, in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the covenant in my blood, the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's think about the fact that this Jesus who we love and who we worship, he's coming back. Let's drink. God, thank you for sending Jesus for us. Or thank you for Christmas, the celebration of who you are. God, I ask that we would all receive the gift of genuine worship. Lord, that you would be the one that we love, that we would desire more than anything else to be in your presence. Lord, that we would, we would read your word because it's, it's how we hear from you that we would dwell about on the things that the Bible tells us about you. Lord, that every day when we, work up, when we wake up, that our goal would be to be pleasing to you. And Lord, that we wouldn't do any of those things because we're trying to earn our place before you earn our standing. Lord, that we would do those things simply because we want to live a life of reverence and worship. God, I just thank you for your grace, your mercy, the fact that you understand us when we fail, when we struggle. Lord, you understand you are a merciful high priest that comes to our rescue. Lord, no matter how many times we don't love you the way we should, you forgive us and you embrace us. Lord, I pray that this Christmas season would be about you in your name. Amen.